Thank you, Father, for this morning that we come together and, and we celebrate Christmas because of what you have done by sending your son, taking on human flesh. And Father, we give thanks that he who knew no sin because he came into the world was going to be sin on our behalf so that we would have forgiveness which comes only from you through Christ Jesus. We confess that and recognize that and are grateful. He stepped into a world under the law and lived it where we could not. And so, Father, our only response is to celebrate and to rejoice in you, O oh God, and what you have done through Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. So, Father, be with us this morning that we would, um, as we look into your word, as we study your word, as we hear about your word, that our hearts would leap out with great joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's Christmas Eve all day, whether it's morning or night. I was telling people, you know, who were, asked me if we had a Christmas Eve service. I said, we have a Christmas Eve service at 10, 15 in the morning. And so I realized some, some people, they think, they think of nighttime, but it's actually Christmas Eve all day long. And I, I want you to be kind of um, aware that we do have kids in here and that it's okay. Kids might bump and kind of shrug or whatever, but imagine how, how it might have been that first night when Jesus came into the world. And I think the fact that we can just hear some little voices and little chirps, that it's actually totally okay. And so I want to just posture us in a, in a position where we, we just say that it's okay, that we have just little children around us, and we're going to hear that, but we're going to be able to make sure that you can hear the Word of God as well. If you want to follow along in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, I'm going to read a portion of Scripture right now. And it says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over there to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they, were, they, they made known the, the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it, is, as it had been told them. The word of God. This is the text that we're, we're in this morning. It's, it's a Christmas text, and we've been doing that all month. But on this uh, particular time, I'm, I'm going to address, actually, joy. Of all things, joy in the gospel. Now, the very first words of this text um, points out something that we not, don't necessarily think of right away when we read this passage. But they're very significant. And so, so let, me, let me just highlight it. The words of the text begin like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, this means a lot of things for the people hearing and experiencing this. This is something that is seared in the minds and in the subconscious of the people that lived it. These are major words. This is, these are words of oppression. And they are reminded of it by that word census. They are reminded that they are an oppressed and a conquered people. Okay? So, so let, me, let, me, let me just show you that, that uh, first of all, that, he, that people understand this right away. It's like, it's like when, you, when you talk about that, that time, they, without hesitation, they, they recognize it with, with absolute ease. So now this was uh, too long ago for some of you, but maybe, possible, possibly, as for some of you, you might remember days like this. Let me, let me, I just want to help you understand this. When you, when you, if you're, because we're not like Jewish folk, but if you're like regular people, you remember a day, possibly, when there was such a thing as the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now, when I say that, for most of you here, you're too young, I'm too young, but some of you possibly remember the notion of when the Dodgers were in Brooklyn, and it puts actually a mental time frame of when that was. It was actually in the 50s. It was the 50s when, that, when the board of directors signed off, 1957, where they were going to leave, Okay. And some of you probably remember that transition and you lamented it, possibly, or you, were, you rejoiced in it or whatever. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know. Or how about this? Here's another time frame. The, the Anaheim Dodgers. Oh, excuse me. The Anaheim. How, I just cursed, didn't I? For some of you, that was such a wicked, like, how dare you, Israel? The Anaheim. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, dude. Anaheim Dodgers, it's coming. Oh, man. Um, <clears throat> may it never be, some of you would cry out. You'd burn your hats. Okay, Anaheim Angels. Anaheim Angels. It puts, it puts in your mind a particular time frame. Um, how about this? How about the days of Kennedy? The days of Kennedy, you remember that? As, as a time frame, as a point of reference, or uh, the Bush administration? How about the Reagan years? Um, Reagan years bring up all kinds of mind, put, uh, puts a time frame, the Obama, the, the season when, when Obama was president. So we, if we talk about uh, times when there was presidents, it, it comes into our mind right away. We can kind of remember those types of things, right? Or how about, how about this? Do you remember the days when people used to talk on the phone and it was hard-lined and you would stretch it out? We'd talk about, you know, remember the days. One day we'll say, remember the days when people talked on the phone? 
Because all people do is maybe just text on it, right? And mostly that's what we do anyway, right? Remember when we used to talk on the phone? Um, or, or how about this? Um, remember the, the dark days, um, the dark days, the shocking racial unrest in America that we saw just recently? And, and we'll, we'll, we'll speak about that. Well, it was very similar for them when they would hear these words. In fact, if you don't have to turn there, but if you listen just for a moment, in, in the, the book of Acts, which Luke wrote as well, chapter 5, we have an occasion where the disciples are actually thrown in a jail for preaching the gospel, for preaching the good news of Jesus. And they were told not to do this by the religious establishment, by, by the Jewish culture. They had a lot of governing authority, and they said not to do this. And because they did it, they took them and they threw them in a jail. And they said, no. Don't do that. And then an angel comes and actually kind of sets them free from that and tells them, oh, no, 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 I want you to go share the gospel some more. And so they go and do it. And then um, out of fear for the crowd, the, the, the kind of the leading Jewish governing establishment basically goes and they, they, they speak with them and um, they say, hey, come with us. We, we don't want you to... Um, uh, do this anymore, but they were afraid, so they didn't arrest them. They just brought them to a place where they could speak. And when they, when they brought them to this place where they could speak, they asked them, why are you doing this thing that we asked you not to do? And they said, we have to listen to God in this. We have to listen to God. Oh, I'm trying to get my attention. Can someone help? Can someone help him? Usher? all right. That's right. Language barrier. All right. So, um, um, so, so they tell them not to do that. And they, do, and they say, we have to listen to God and we have to do this thing. Now, now this is what, now this is the point I'm getting at. This is what I want you to understand. When, when the religious establishment is with these people appealing to their brothers saying, look guys, here's the deal. One of them stands up, a Pharisee and says, look, we've seen stuff like this before. We've seen revolutionaries. And, and here's, here's the deal guys. Uh, revolutionaries have come and gone. Do you, do you remember that guy who ro rose up like 400 people? What happened to them? Yeah, they rose up and they, they started this dissension and they died. They died. And then, and then, and then he, and he goes on to speak. He says, and after this, in verse 37, he says, after this, there was a guy named Judas, a Galilean, who rose up and then he's in the days of the census and drew away some of the people, but he died as well. So don't worry about these, these disciples of Jesus. It's just going to die. Now, what is Luke telling us? That this time frame, that this census was seared in the minds of these people. It was a radically significant event. In fact, in fact it was a major mark of their oppression that they were a conquered people. And by taking that, they were reminded of it massively. Now, how did they come to this place where they, they, had, they had this happen to them? The reason they, were, they had come to this place was because, because they had disobeyed God they had disobeyed God, and, um, and because of their disobedience, God, God was disciplining them. And in their discipline, they, they, got, they got conquered, they got taken away, because God was saying, I want you to come back to me. This is a discipline. Come back to God and, and worship God. But you see, they had made all these high places, and, 
and they had disobeyed God, and they had walked away from him, and they had done these things, and they were refusing to repent. And then they are, long, they are longing and awaiting a, a salvation that God has promised in the scriptures. They're waiting and longing for it. And the census that happens is something that they were very aware of. It was an oppression that they, they knew first and foremost. And I tell you this, that we usually hear about people like this, and we think, man, they were really oppressed. They have this governing authority over them. But we don't have that. We are not an oppressed people. What does this have to do with us, Israel? And I would argue that, actually, that all of us have oppressions. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Even though like, we live in a, in, a, in a culture and an era and in a location where we don't experience the oppressions that you don't first think about as being oppressions, and we do have them. And they're really subtle. And they're related to idolatries that are in our heart. Let me, let me talk about, let me pick on myself. You know, grades just came out for kids. Grades just came out. And you know what? We, we want our kids to work hard. We want, we want good Christian work ethic. They should work hard. They should, do their, they should try their best. But if I'm really honest, if I'm really honest with myself, when, when I hear about those good grades, I mean, oh my goodness, my, my, like, idolatry just starts to, like, perk up just a little bit in me. Maybe not you. Not you folk, but, but, but in me, it does. Because if it was, if their, their grades were, were, were lower and they, maybe they weren't doing their best or whatever, I mean, I, maybe I might experience um, um, a sadness and a loss in my identity in that. Because in our culture, one of the things that we, we have a struggle with is we, we worship is our kids. And, and I'm, I'm just being real honest. It's me. It's, it's, it's got to be you. It's, we know it. It's, 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 our, it's part of our... Now, now they're, they're important and they're valuable and they're our children. We love them. We want them to do well. But I'm telling you, there's these subtle oppressions that are in there that kind of nag at us. And if they weren't doing as well as we thought they should be, I'm telling you, it would affect us. Or how about this? Why does it matter so much the school that they would go to? Not just the college, but even the high school they would go to. People move their entire families to live in a district that would be absolutely best for them. And you know what? Perfectly legitimate to do. But deep down in there, I would say that there is oppressions. We're not, we're not oppressed by, by maybe like a governing force. We are oppressed and tethered to, to something that if it doesn't go this way, then we would just be ruined. Or how about sin itself? Secret sins. Friends, brothers, and sisters, we all know maybe there are things that we do, that we see, that we think, that we would not want others to know, and they can oppress us. And yet the good news of the gospel is that he frees us from those oppressions. And so this, this morning, what I want to speak to you about is this, that I want to appeal to you about is this, that everyone, every one of us should accept the good news of the gospel or the gospel of joy with three realities that I'm going to give you. The first reality is this, that God says what happens in the world. The second reality is God rules the world. And the third reality is that God saves the world of peoples, and I'm going to address all three of those. So if you turn your Bible back to Luke chapter 2, then I'm going to walk us through some of those things. 
The number one, that God says what happens in the world. What I'm talking about is God prophesies. That's, that's the theological word. But God says what happens in the world. And when he says what's going to happen in the world, it actually happens. When you look at this text, chapter 2, and read just a little bit, listen closely. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because, the reason is, he was of the house and the lineage of David. Now, here's the thing. This, the place where Jesus was going to be born, was actually prophesied in the scriptures, in the writings. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and I'm going to read it for you right now. Listen to this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the ancient word used for that place, by the way, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Listen closely. So it says, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose origin is from, catch this, from of old, from ancient days. See, this is the prophecy of God. And the point is this, that God says what happens in the world. And that because of that, we should accept with great joy the gospel of joy. God prophesies, God says what he says, and then what he says actually takes place. When you read on, you see that he, Jesus is going to be born in the very place that he said he was going to be born. Prophecy is meant to encourage us that when God actually says something, that it actually does take place. It's the same with the, with the Christ coming into the world, the Christ being crucified, the Christ being raised from the dead. Prophecy, God saying what happens in the world, is actually proof of him being who he is. Because no one else can actually do that. Only God himself can do that. And scripture affirms that over and over and over. And one of the things that it should do in our hearts, one of the encouragements it should do in us is that we begin to understand that God actually fulfills what he says he's going to fulfill. People will let us down. People will not say the truth. Um, on and on and on. Coworkers, people that, that, are, that are in charge of us, they, they might make a mistake or whatever, but, but you know, governments can let us down, but God, but God actually, when he says something's going to take place, it actually happens. Number two. Number two, the, the, the second reality that I want us to buy into is this, that God rules the world. Now, I, I want us to see something that's, that's rather fascinating that's going on here. We see that there is a ruler over Israel, a governing force that is bringing about a census. And yet, even though he is bringing about the census, God is accomplishing what he wants to accomplish through these governing authorities and powers. So I ask you this, who's actually in charge? 
Is it the governing authorities that are causing the census? Or is it God himself who said, actually, the Christ will be born in Bethlehem, and even though he uses the means of these governing forces, God accomplishes it. So God rules the world. Sometimes this is called God's sovereignty or his kingship. Listen to what it says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from there, and from Galilee, the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which is what the scripture said, where he would be born. And guess what happens? He ends up being born there. The sovereignty of God or God ruling the world is a great source of comfort because we know that God is actually decreeing and sustaining the universe the way he has set out to do it. And it's a great source of rest and and it should lead to joy in the gospel because the gospel itself is a message of great and powerful and amazing joy. Number three, that God saves a world of peoples. And what we see going on here is that while they were there in verse six, in verse seven, she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, a lot of times you have visions of this, like Joseph is running around frantically trying to find a place in the end, what this points out to is how busy the town probably is, and how busy and how busy the family is. You can't imagine any family who is with child going to have a baby any at any moment is going to send their family off at an at a like a hotel, which in a small little farm town like this, it wouldn't even be the case anyway. This what this is is imagine a place where there'd be an upper room. This is where people would stay, and on the lower room is a place where you you would lock in your animals. And there would be a feeding trough in, the, in there as well, a manger. So the whole family is hustling and bustling. They're all there. It's so crowded on the upper room that Jesus and the family would be down below with the others while this baby's coming, and they would lay him in a manger. That's what's going on. And so, and so Jesus, is, uh, Jesus, or excuse me, God is going to save peoples, he's going to save a world, and that word is coming through an angel, and it says in verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the, in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now here is the amazing things I, I want us to see here. Now, until this point, God has been showing up in a temple and it's, in a, it's a place of beauty. It's a place where the glory of God would show up. And now it has shifted from showing up in this temple to showing up in a farm. He's going to show up to a people that you would not think that God is going to show up to. Because not only are they kind of, um, kind of a, the mangy people, the shepherds, they're the outsiders, but it's also not the family they're announcing, they're announcing his birth not to the family right now, although they knew that. They are going outside of the family. The angels are proclaiming this outside of the family because this is a precursor to what, the redefinition of family by Jesus himself on the cross when he says, behold, your mother. So the people of God are actually the family. It's a, new, a redefinition of the family and the community of God. The proclamation of it is going outside to a people 
who that are like kind of the dirty people. They, these guys are the these guys are they're, they're day laborers. They're they're shepherds. They're the low guys on society. They're doing a bunch of extra work because they can't make ends meet. That's why they're doing what they're doing. And they're he, they are going to them. They are not going to the nobles. They are going to these people that are outside of the family and they're outside. And of course they're afraid. And the angel said to them, "Fear not." For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all peoples. And there it is, that God saves a world of peoples. And he's going outside to a people that you would not expect him to go to. Because they are not the good and the decent. And you know the good news for us, brothers and sisters, is that we are not the good and the decent. Not one of us here. We are the outsiders. We are the Gentiles. And yet God comes to us and rescues us so that we will have great joy in the good news of the gospel because this news that he's proclaiming, look what he says. Fear not. Behold, I bring you, not terrifying news, I bring you not bad news, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day the city of David, a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. And Christ means anointed, it's, it's, it's like a, it's, it's the anointed, that's what that means. But God comes to, to the world of people. Now I want to point out the irony in this. When you read about the rulers of their day, there's an inscription called the Marion Inscription. Some of you who are kind of nerdy, maybe you've heard of this, maybe you've seen documents of this, but there's a scription that defined or said something about the rulers of the day that Jesus ran, namely the Caesar the Caesar. I want to read that to you so you can kind of see what, what God is doing and proclaiming what he does proclaim and doing what he does. And what Luke is saying, it says this, divine Augustus Caesar, son of God. This is about the Caesar. Divine Augustus Caesar, son of God, imperator, Im- imperator or commander, that's the best word I can come up with, of land and sea, commander of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the, the, um, the whole world. That statement is what was used of the Caesar. Do, 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 hear, hear that again. Divine Augustus Caesar, son of God, commander of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world? And then Luke is writing what he's writing in direct contrast, in direct irony of what's going on in the culture that the actual king is not the Caesar, but he is the God of heaven. And he is being born not in nobility, but in a manger, and he is the ruler of heaven and earth. God saves the world through his people, through Jesus, who is the Christ. They might think that they are making things, these things happen by appointing a census on the people and having them show up, and yet God had foretold all those several hundred years earlier that this would occur and that this would happen and that he was going to save a people, a, a, a people that were messed up and dirty, people that are sinful just like you and I. And as you ponder Christmas and you say Merry Christmas to one another and you spend time together, remember that there is a Savior for all a world of peoples, people that are different than us, people that are as messed up as us, I mean, one of the amazing things is that he dies, he, he's, being, he's, he's born into this world, takes on flesh, and then he's going to die for us. I, I want us to understand how significant this is, and I'll help us think about it in this way, through a little exercise. 
Imagine that at the end of our lives, that we, we come to a place where there is a, an art gallery. But this is a special art gallery because what it's going to do when we walk into this art gallery, it is, it, it is going to display the events of our lives. Every event of our lives. There would be plenty of things that we'd be very proud of and excited to share with others and to be on display for others. Like, you know, maybe it's like having kids or, you know, how we, tr- how we treated our, our spouse, um, caring for whatever. Maybe some achievements that we would want others to see. But in this art gallery that we would actually even see the things that we wouldn't want others to see. The things that we're ashamed of. The events in our lives that maybe even our wives don't even know about. Or kids, you don't want your parents to know about. Because you're ashamed of it. Those are there. But the good news is this. The good news is that Jesus, who came in under the law and lived the perfect life that we could not live, his life gets put in those places that are all messed up that we don't want anyone to see. The good news is that it's, it's covered by the perfect life of Jesus. The good news is that Jesus is sent into the world. This exceedingly good no- news is that he comes to, to rescue, save people. The Caesar can't do it, but God can do it. That is good news. That everything, every event of our life, um, as broken and messed up as some of those things are, and that we wouldn't want people to know about, that we're ashamed of, that may- maybe as you have worked out the gospel, and here's the, good, here's the good thing about the gospel, is like you should know that you're free from the bondage of the shame of those things. Why, why are you oppressed by the shame and the guilt of some of those things? Don't you know that Jesus covered it on the cross? See, because God, not only is he the one who says what happens in the world, he also rules the world as he pleases, and he saves the world of peoples, and that's you and me. And so why is there shame? Why are we oppressed by things from the past? Why are we oppressed by the slavery of idolizing our kids in such a way that they become everything? Why are we oppressed by needing to buy a home? Do you realize there's a lot of people that are leaving our, they've left our county, left our state, younger people, because they cannot afford to buy a home? Can I, can I throw a curveball into that just a little bit? Since when did it become a human right to own a home? I, I'm saying, like, like I, I, I want us to. I want, be, bear with me. Like, sometimes in cultures, it's so expensive. Sometimes just renting is the way it is. Is it not? And it, it, can, we, can we give thanks if God has provided a shelter, a place for us to live so that we can do gospel ministry in the city, for the city, so people will hear about the great name of Jesus. What if the, pe- the floods of people that want to leave our county or leave our state said, you know, because of the gospel, I want to stay, I want to dig in, I'm going to make my life in the city, because I want people to hear about Jesus, and I know it's super hard and it's super expensive, but I'm going to do, do you know what I'm saying? Because of the gospel, instead of moving away, instead of being oppressed by the reality, the, the, the reality of, I, I need to be able to have home ownership. What if I could be satisfied with renting a home, affording to make the living that I need to make? Now, in some cases, people need, people need to move out. Like, like, we totally get it. But what if we're not, we're not oppressed by, any longer by things like that because of the good news of Jesus? Because, look, we don't have oppressions like from a, from a governing force 
at this point. The oppressions that we experience are things tied to our kids, they're tied to our finances, they're tied to all kinds of other things. All kinds of other things. So with that, I just wanna, I wanna close by asking us this question. The response that we see from the, from the shepherds is just a robust worship in God. And the shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This Christmas, as we ponder the God who makes the, says what happens in the world and rules what happens in the world and saves the world of people, what will be our response to Jesus? Will it be of absolute worship or will we settle in the oppressions and lose the side of the joy that we have in the gospel? Let's pray.